Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have an old interview I did with Keith Hansen, a.k.a. Visigoth, on his show Think or Be Eaten. And on the show, we talk about my documentary, which was made seven years ago. The title is Occult Hollywood. So I talk about many of the films that I think are important and involve occult themes. I am currently editing and revising the documentary that I put out in 2011, titled Occult Hollywood, upon which this audio interview is based. I will have an updated and revised version on my Vimeo channel within the next few months, so keep an eye out for that. Also, my documentary, The Smiley Face Killers, who is abducting, torturing, and murdering college-age men in the U.S. and U.K. is now available on my Vimeo page. Just go to vimeo.com and type in The Smiley Face Killers, and my documentary with the trailer should show up on the page. This is the first part of a two-hour interview. The entirety of the interview can be heard on my YouTube channel, William Ramsey Investigates. Thank you and enjoy the show. All right, this is Thinker B. Eaton, and we have with us, once again, William Ramsey. And you've heard William here, and you've heard him with Randy, um, also on The, the Watchmen. Uh, and you'll hear him again there. Uh, he's very interesting. Uh, he was on with regard to the book that he's written. He's now come out with a DVD, His Maiden Voyage, in that uh, particular uh, – I hate to say the word milieu because it makes me – I don't know. It doesn't come out – you know, I can't say milieu. I'll say genre. How's that? Great. All right. Thanks a lot, William, uh, for coming back on this um, uh, Thanksgiving Day, f uh, for most of us, a four-day holiday. Um, Thank you for having me. All right. Always good to talk to you. Now, what we're going to, I guess, embrace today is what I, what I believe is the working title for the DVD, and that is Occult Hollywood. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. All right. And, and folks, there'll be links up to all that with this audio, so we won't go into it. You can, you can find it on YouTube. You can see a trailer there. Um, you made a good point from the outset, and the first, first off is when we use the word occult, all right, one, what is the real meaning of the word or should be? the textbook, if you will, meaning for the word, and then what do you think it has morphed into being? Well, I think, uh, I mean, at least my reading of occult means, uh, according to the Webster Merriam Dictionary in 2010, is not revealed, not easily apprehended, or hidden from view. So uh, for me, that also encompasses a whole variety of different uh, subjects that I think a lot of people uh, aren't aware of or I wasn't aware of, and uh it does include Satanism, kind of other secret things or things that have been hidden as far as from political sense or social, cultural, uh, things that are kind of an undercurrent. So uh, that's it. But it's kind of morphed into becoming something that's more synonymous with uh, dark side or Satanism. Uh, so I can understand that. But I guess in the sense that I use it is just really to uh, see things that are not easily detectable. So, And that's kind of more the verb. Not that you are supposed to be uh, <clears throat> some kind of uh, etymologist, but where do you think um, the term cult comes into play? Because you can understand if a cult s sort of got a, an even worse rap because of what we think of when we use the term cult. Uh, would you consider the cult maybe the kind of word that um, has, has done much to make a, the, the other word a cult uh, even more a pejorative? Yeah, perhaps. I bet they have the same kind of root, root word. I, I wouldn't know. I'd have to look up the uh, mm -hmm. 
the dictionary for that, but yeah, I would say so. And they're they're both pejorative. I think a cult and cult are pro- are fairly similar because probably a cult is uses occult uh, concepts and ideas to kind of maintain uh, the power structure within you know those kind of uh, dark societies, I guess. And and not to beat um, the terminology to death. But I think it's probably rightfully so that people look at cult and occult as being evil because even if it means not easily apprehended, and we know cult kind of has an implication, if not explicit, uh, about being secretive, uh, doing things in the dark, if you will. And that I think most people, you would ask them a straight-out question, you know, what would you relate to dark, what would you relate to light, and here's the word cult, boom, it'd go over to the dark. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and when groups that you don't know what they're doing, they you kind of think that they're doing what they're doing um, behind closed doors because it's probably not, you know, Girl Scout cookies. So, Right. Yeah. Um, but you also mentioned something before we came on, and I think you make it, uh, a really salient point. And it, it's, it hits me all the more because of something I went through. And I actually was thinking about this uh, even prior to you coming on. I was just kind of rummaging what I had done. And then you came out and said this uh, just a couple of minutes ago. And if you don't mind, I'd really like you to share uh, your thoughts on, on what you're doing and what people should not uh, necessarily construe you as doing. Well, I just wanted to say, out, you know, kind of make a, a blanket statement that I'm not into the occult. I don't admire it. These are things that I'm learning that I didn't know about three to five years ago that I've slowly, you know, come to my uh, understanding and uh, – you know, I'm definitely not a Satanist. I don't think that a lot of these things are worth uh, uh, getting into. I think they're worth being aware of, definitely, and being reproved. And uh, my whole idea is kind of to reveal them, not to initiate individuals into any type of mystery religion slash satanic occult or cult uh, practices. And, and, you know, too, in Scripture, you are, you are uh, exhorted to do things out in the light. Uh, and I think that light-dark uh, motif is, is, you know, is, is there for a lot of reasons. I mean, one is metaphorical, but it's true. And, um, and, I, and I, I just want to share with you something that uh, occurred this week. Uh, Angie uh, from Thinker Be Eaten sent me um, a YouTube link about, I guess, some Europeans, apparently Scandinavians, that were, were running with uh, occult symbolism right out, you know, right out in the open and such. Uh, one of the people that was referred to in it was uh, um, the legendary, if not notorious, Freeman from uh, Austin. And, right. you know, I looked at it, and it just brought me back to a time. And, and get through this quickly. Here's where I'm going. When I first got into the research back, arguably, in late 2000, um, there's a certain, um, I guess, allure even though it's a little tawdry, if you will, there's a certain fascination, and there is generally an interest in how much corporations in everyday life, including churches and religions, have embraced um, occult symbolism. And w- when you get into something like that, you can kind of stay there, and you can keep on going and going and going. And then I got to the point one where I'm like, okay, I get it now, all right, I get it. When, when I see uh, companies using, you know, starbursts and triangle, uh, you know, pyramids and all this stuff, yeah, I, I kind of get what that's going. And, uh, and is it always known uh, to be that way? I don't really think so, but I'm sure mo- most of it 
is a wink and a nod uh, to the masses of those who uh, are billionaires and such, and hence that's why you get these logos. Uh, but there was something else that occurred, and what you're hopefully going to avoid, I walked right into. In the year that I did the show Beyond the Grassy Knoll, which was kind of a linchpin between this and the very first show, which was Visigoth's Grassy Knoll, I had on a lot of cultic people. I let, I let everybody come on. And I'll say I got maybe one or two uh, very poignant emails, not the crazies as usual, that said, you know, do you really think, ah, you know, you should be having these people on? You know, I know where you stand, meaning me, but uh, I don't know. And I said, well, I'm just going to let them have their say. They know I don't agree with it, et cetera, et cetera. And I really did believe that. But then I found out it just started building up inside of me, and throughout the year I did Beyond the Grassy Knoll, uh, that what I was probably doing was giving these people more credence than they deserved. And in that sense, I was wrong. And I got myself away from it. You know, I, I, I rent my clothes and never went back again. Um, and I won't have anything to do with any of those people. And what's funny in the end, William, and I, I want you to respond to that because hopefully you'll not wind up where I was, but um, the people that get involved with this occult uh, symbolism and, and seemingly pointing it out to the uninitiated are really no different. I mean... Yeah. They're also on the same side of the street. They're New Agers. And that's what made me laugh because in this whole you know, NWO crowd that, that either hosts or listens to this kind of show, um, a lot of people in the audience don't realize that the ones who are bringing them this information aren't necessarily any different and are into yeah. things that will hasten down the New World Order, especially the religious aspects. So go ahead, Wayne. I'm sorry. No, but I totally agree with you. And I myself have made the similar mistake. I went on a show that had in the title truth in it, so I assumed they had my understanding of truth, and they were basically just interested in all kinds of mysteries, and I actually was uh, ambushed by a living, breathing, practicing Satanist who uh, basically retread all of the tired old uh, demonic arguments, and it was really shocking, but I was... I was mistaken, and, you know, I've learned myself just since I've, you know, published my, self-published that book that not everybody who is in the 9-11 truth movement or in, you know, arguably what would be, a, you know, the interested in the truth are there to actually get at the crux of things. They're more interested in uh, peddling the same kind of mystery, mythos uh, type of uh, ideas that the New World Order would love people to to uh, believe. So they're yeah. really actually trying to initiate them into their view. And those people are like Sarion, Jordan Maxwell, and uh, David Icke, Freeman, these guys. I mean, Freeman makes all kinds of references to Discordianism, but he doesn't ever tell anybody what that means or where it's from. Uh, and, you know, that's basically from Robert Anton Wilson, one of the great writers of satanic doctrine in the 20th century. And uh, basically, it's like selling people myths, you know, that they that actually are tantamount to just a more sophisticated lie. And uh, Jordan Maxwell, I don't know if you know this, but he his name actually is taken from uh, one of Blavatsky's books, and uh, his real name is like David Prine or something like that. But so you're right, and so I've I've, I've fallen into the same trap. I I'll have to get this uh, interview that I had with this Satanist that. Uh, uh, it, it it was very interesting. <laughs> it's a classic, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the, here's the kicker. Is I went on this show, like, to – it was the day of – it was the ninth year anniversary of 9-11 to try to tell people that, you know, there's a an occult-slash-satanic influence upon the event. 
and they brought on a guy who's a member of a, of a Krulian lodge, who's done the Gnostic math, and you know spouted the same stuff from Crowley, like Iwas loves humanity, which is just absolutely disgusting. So, uh, it was amazing. It was an amazing interview. Uh, well, I think we're both agreed uh, that this can go someplace you don't want it to go, and you might be giving more, like I said, credence and exposure to some of these characters, uh, <laughs> much more. In fact, nothing should be paid them. But um, I, I was guilty of it for sure, and uh, that isn't going to happen again. That you, ha that you know that symbolism is all around you, gives you an idea, but it's also something that's reflective of the fact that we know that Satan is, is the, the, if you will, the lord of the world for a time. And since Correct. this is his purlieu, uh, obviously it's going to have trademarks all the time. But, uh, but let me give you one example, though, real quick, uh, and then we'll get into the, the body of uh, the work you've done. There is a, there's a company that sprang up in New Jersey, and because of my wife's work, she passed along what she came upon. And it's about, which is kind of springing up all over now. This one is probably three years old. Um, I can't remember the name of the company, but it's one of these things where, it's you know, if we wanted to title it prettily, we'd say it's um, kind of like surveillance or watchfulness or, um, you know, keeping an eye on the, on a, what's it, uh, what you would call, a, what do they say? Suspicious people, you know, now everybody's right. looking for All right. And the name of the company was I something or other. I can't remember what it was. The I obviously was a play on two things. One, the letter I, uh, which was used as a logo, and, of course, the human eye. Now, there was a graphic that went with the uh, company's name, and it was the Eye of Horus. Not a full-blown right. Eye of Horus, but it was an Eye of Horus. And I'm looking at this, you know, and I was saying to my wife, I'm like, now here's an example. Does this guy know? Now, probably an ad agency did it. Maybe he commissioned it and they did it, you know, but I'm right. just like, could this guy possibly know what he's doing? And what creeped me out is I don't go for these snitch websites, this stuff about, you know, uh, oh, what is the one about with, there's bullying and all this stuff. And it's like it just reeks of snitch culture. And it also reeks of anonymous assassination, character assassination. You know, somebody who's anonymous says so-and-so did a thing. Now, okay, great, I didn't do it, but now i got to prove I'm innocent when I didn't do anything at all. And you know that whole culture that's springing up, which is also concomitant when you get to um, heavy control and enlarging powers uh, from the state. So at any rate, I don't know what he did, uh, if he knew it or not, but it just hap happens out there, and you, you got to wonder if it's a coincidence. But if you stay too long there... You really do get distracted, and it doesn't come to anything. It's the same old, same old. Satan's around. What do you expect? That's the way it goes. Right. Now, with Occult Hollywood, um, you know I went down that road a number of years ago, and I have to credit John Valentini uh, for actually doing this. But I think what Valentini did has gotten misused, and I'll say more about that later. Uh, tell me how you got involved and uh, why this was important to you. Was it because you wrote the book that you found these things out, or did you know this going into writing the book? Well, I had seen stuff on your website. I had seen uh, some things about the the numerology, and I hadn't quite put it all together. And like you know, kind of a just to retread how I got into the occult was from 9/11. You know, I saw all those numbers. So then, once I discovered that uh, how much Crowley had influenced people and things, then I began to start seeing them in films and references that uh, kind of confirmed their importance, not just to the events of 9/11, but the general culture. So then. 
I just kind of kept a, a recording of them in my mind, and uh, I got to a certain point where I could put together kind of a visual record of that so that people can see it. And when they see it all together, I think that that will, you know, provides an evidentiary proof, uh, proof and basis for my positions that I put in my book. So, you know, it's something that I've kept an eye on for the last couple of years, and I, you know, I finally had the time to kind of go through and uh, just not only put the numbers, but also kind of references to uh, the active, you know, uh, just to show that Satanism is uh, an active element in the common culture and has been for a long period of time as well. So, uh, Yeah, and I, I think we talked about this uh, in one of the very many variations of the shows we've done together, yourself, with Randy, myself, and all that. Um, and you would think that Satan very much would use this as a medium, mainly because I'm saying we've talked about Satan as being the prince of the air. That's one of his titles. Uh, right. But we also thought, why don't we add the word waves to air, and maybe that's where we're at, the prince of the airwaves or prince of media. Uh, because it seems that much of this kind of information, um, uh, just basically an evilness, is certainly disseminated through uh, the media, whether it's TV, whether it's movies, music, whatever. And it seems to be taking even a nastier turn. And that's, you know, I've, I've watched what now for like almost six decades. And I don't like what I'm seeing, but then I've been told also that my parents couldn't stand what I watched. <laughs> you know, so you're wondering, yeah, if it's, yeah, if it's just that you're, you're an old fogey or whether or not you're seeing a continual disintegration and a denigration of uh, well, all I the would arts. Just, I would, I would uh, say, I mean, I'm 40 years old, so for me, I've seen it gotten worse, getting worse as well, so... It just seems like, uh, and it's becoming more in the open, a lot of the satanic references and so. And don't you have to wonder, though, truly, if they named Hollywood because of the wood of the of the wand that uh, magicians use, supposedly? I, 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 I would be not be surprised <laughs> if that's really the basis, honestly. And um, Harry, my old uh, partner, used to go, well, then tell me about Hollywood, Florida. And I, and I, and I said, oh, look, I don't know, but I think I do remember that Hollywood, Florida came after Hollywood, California, and I believe it was tied into a possible second site for making movies. So I do believe that's one of the reasons why Hollywood, Florida was named such. Um, but uh, Harry was, was a, a great skeptic, but he, he, was a health, he, he healthily was a skeptic, and I don't mind that kind of thing. But, yeah, I think that other one was also involved in this. Um, well, I tell you what, you've got a a list of uh, the rogues gallery here. Do you want to start working into that or, or how would you like to take sure. it? I mean, I think, uh, you know, I just, I, I basically uh, captured a lot of these things from film. I also saw your website with the references to 9-11. So that was kind of uh, something that I had incorporated in some of those uh, things I put into the movie. But I just started off my movie with kind of a reference to Kenneth Anger. Kenneth Anger seems to be one of the still-living, uh, breathing Satanists who has kind of a direct tie to Aleister Crowley uh, through uh, one of Crowley's followers by the name of Gerald York. And I'd spoken, to, spoken about York in uh, our earlier discussion about Crowley. He was, his brother was a friend of uh, George Orwell slash Eric Blair. And uh, so Gerald York uh, with Aleister Crowley uh there were some rituals they did, or actually a public meeting that's uh, well recorded in the local papers at the time at the Cleopatra's Needle in uh, London, where Crowley, uh, you know, uh, warns the world that if they don't accept the Book of the Law, you know, there will be this disastrous war. And he did that two years in a row, and Gerald York was there. Well, Jerry, Gerald York, 
is a friend of Kenneth Anger. And Kenneth Anger mentions him. He had a, uh, there was a showing at the Hammer Museum in, Holly, in Brentwood, which is close to Hollywood in Los Angeles, uh, where Kenneth Anger kind of discusses Crowley and uh, discusses his movies. So I kind of started off with that just to show that there's a, a living, breathing continuum of from these, you know, from Crowley, the Great Beast, to uh, the modern day. And so I kind of start off with that. I talk about uh, some of the other followers or friends of Crowley, Dennis Wheatley, who was a much more well-known uh, novelist from the 50s who wrote a bunch of occult novels. And a, there were a couple films that were based on Crowley that were made. Uh, one is called The Devil Rides Out, and the main character, Mokata, is based on Crowley. So I included that in the film just for a little... Uh, you know, visual reference to Crowley. It shows some of the ritual magic that they were doing. And then I kind of get into uh, the general followers of Crowley, the directors who, not followers of Crowley, but of the occult in general, who uh, have in, input some of the numerical references and just general references to the cult in their films. And those ones were that I have so far are Oliver Stone, Stanley Kubrick, Roman Polanski, are really the big three that I kind of came up with. And uh, so I just kind of went through some of their movies and in, just showed where these guys are putting things into uh, these movies that have a cult slash satanic import. Oh, oh, all right, good. Uh, I'm... And basically, like, so basically what I did is just go through and, and kind of detail it. I mean, in Natural Born Killers, at the very beginning of Natural Born Killers, there's uh there is a uh, uh, 77 and a 66 on the intro. And then, uh, you know, I have uh, World Trade Center, which is the film that they did uh, about the whole 9-11 event. There's a repeated use of 93, which is Crowley's number. Uh, his numbers for the Lima and Agape in the Kabbalah were 93, as well as the number for the chief demon that he was in contact with by the name of Awas. So that was there. Uh, there's also a reference to some kind of death devil figure that follows uh jim morrison throughout the doors film and there's witchcraft sequences in there that include blood drinking and uh, ritual magic let me hold you there and, for a second if i could I, I like your take on this right off the top of your head because that's always going to be the best one uh yeah in the movie made about jo uh, jim morrison do you remember what that evil spirit looked like when it was corporeal do you remember the shape of it and what sex it was oh of the guy who's following morrison around yeah yeah, it was like some kind of uh, bald-headed man. Yeah. 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 I wonder. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, and that's supposedly the devil's haircut is a bald head, you know, so it's like either Crowley and that, you know. So, for me, I couldn't figure out if it was the death or devil that's following around, but there were also like this, there's a sequence where this figure goes by Jim Morrison and, and nods his top hat to them, which was very satanic to me. So, uh, it's just a very strange uh, inclusion into that film. And, uh, you know, so then uh, just another thing that JFK had when, and Oliver Stone, excuse me, in the JFK he had the meeting with, the Garrison uh, has a meeting with the, uh, Mr. X, who was based on Fletcher Prudy, the writer of an uh, important book called The Secret Team. But the uh, the whole sequence takes place on the mall in Washington, D.C., with this huge obelisk of George Washington in the background. And it suggests, in my opinion, that, uh, you know, what what, Oliver Stone is saying is that the killers of JFK had attachments to the secret religion or the mystery religion, and, and I think that's basically the truth. When you look at the cast of characters 
who are responsible for murdering the president, uh, they're either attached to Skull and Bones or, you know, some type of uh, occult group. Uh, basically, uh, you know, George W. Bush, who is a member of Skull and Bones. There's uh, E. Howard Hunt, who wrote, I think he wrote eight or nine occult novels that uh, under a different name. So he was very much uh, into the occult. E. e. Howard Hunt wrote about 20 to 25 spy-slash-occult books under pseudonyms during his lifetime, so he was constantly writing as well as, you know, engaging in spycraft. So uh, I think Oliver Stone quite, knows quite a, bo- uh, quite a bit about Satanism and the occult a lot more than, you know, it would, su- it would suggest yeah. in his films. And then in Alexander, there's the Prometheus speech where he did the intro. And the, a lot of the, it seems like a lot of these guys put their markers right at the beginning of the film. So uh, most of these markers begin to uh, take place at the beginning of film. So in Alexander, a movie, the, uh, another movie by Oliver Stone, written by Oliver Stone, he talks about and equates Alexander to Prometheus, calls him a magus, and then kind of makes this NWO speech. And you can see it in my movie, but it's basically... Uh, Alexander put together the whole world and made a place of peace, but the whole speech is bogus because uh, Alexander basically butchered his way throughout the entire earth and slaughtered everybody. And then, you know, here's this uh, character calling it a kind of peace. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, it was, it, if you listen to the speech on, in the Alexander movie, I think you'll, you'll find it very interesting, especially, you know, Prometheus is the symbol of Satan and, there's Promethean figures uh, for throughout the, the cultures, for example, at uh, the Rockefeller Center in New York City. So uh, I found that Oliver Stone knows a lot, a lot more about the occult, and he puts it into his films quite a bit. Was he that was telling me that uh, that he lays that in more than we know? We had a conversation a, a while back, and you said that um, somebody seemed pretty fascinated with that. And I'm wondering if it was Stone or not. Uh, do I don't recall. I know that uh, the guy who did Millennium and X-Files said that, and I have that in my film. His name is Chris Carter. Right. He actually, I have a clip of him in my film where he just outright says, there's a lot of secret things that I've put in my, you know, the X-Files and Millennium. And Millennium has all kinds of references to 9-11 and 11s, which, uh, you know, are Crowley's numbers. 11 is my number, which was in his Book of the Law. And he said it was the number par excellence for magic. And uh, so, well, before before we move on any deeper, there's a couple of things I'd like to ask you this, so we can clean up some loose ends that are at least in my mind, if it's okay. Sure. All right. Um, John Valentini, the individual I was talking about, is in Australia, and he had written me, and that's how this whole thing started. Um, and he had written a book. He had me write the foreword, and then he, you know, he just I, I don't want to say disappeared, but. Nothing Nothing came forth. I didn't hear from him again. He had the full lineup of all the images on his blog spot. That's down. In fact, if you go to one of my pages and you click on the total uh, uh, images, it will come up you know, as a, a 404 or whatever. That's right. Valentini's own site. I mean, first of all, I hope he's okay. But here's where I think um, I know I might have gone wrong, and I'm not saying that he did, but now looking back, this is what my take is. When they put in these kind of winks and nods, these markers, I think it's their way of celebrating. I think it's probably a little, you know, a behind-the-back-of-the-hand snicker at us. Mm -hmm. But I think what we did, and I'll I'll just say for myself, what I did was can we now 
knowing that that happened about 9-11, can we extrapolate and say, okay, there's something else out there that they're doing right now? And so what happened is that, not that I did this, maybe I did, I don't know, but it gave rise to all people now looking at all kinds of movies and pulling numbers out left and right saying blah, blah, blah. Now, do you remember this last upswell that took place in November right around the, uh, the 6th or the 11th? What, what upswell is that? Well, all of a sudden I started getting emails about somebody who put out a YouTube, which when I look at it, I mean, personally, I think someone like that borrowed a lot from us. Not that he knew it was from us because we got borrowed a lot from. There were images that we used, uh, and, and I credit with 90% of those coming from uh, Valentini, that all of a sudden wound up in other places. I'm not saying something else couldn't have happened concurrently, and that really isn't the point of why we're doing this, but all of a sudden I see this come out, and we were doing this in, in 03. And uh-huh. so this movie comes around, and they're, they're, now they're running with The Simpsons. Now, as you know, Valentini has one of the images, uh, the little Simpson girl holding a... Uh, 9-11, right? I'm yeah, it was like, yeah, uh, what would you call it? It's a tourist magazine or something. You get the nine and the, and the twin towers. And, uh, and remember, too, that, that Carter and Fox, both those entities, are, of course, are joined at the hip. And when Carter's not doing something, Fox still seems to be doing things because Carter obviously had nothing to do with The Simpsons, and yet stuff pops up there. They even did a classic thing on uh, The Stonecutters. Do you remember that? Right, yes, I've seen that as well. <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know, who did all this? We did, you know. So. But, right, and, they take credit for everything. Right, right. And, I mean, it actually, it was done well. But this, this last thing has Homer in a hammock. I don't know, some clock falls down next to him and has the hands on, the minute hand is on the eleven. And the hour hand is on the six. Now, of course, it's five to six, which with Homer, you know, dinner time, he never misses it. But then it was right. also next to some object that looked like 11. So people were going, well, maybe something's going to happen on 11, 6, 10. And it didn't. And then you had this guy, Cliff, whatever his name is, high with his web bot and stuff like that, saying something big was going to go down on the 11th. And I'm like, well, you get out of here with this stuff. So here's where I'm going. I don't think we could ever look at that and try to predict. I do think, though, however, after the event's over, it has been commemorated. For us to go running around, and you're not doing this, and I'm not saying you are at all, but these other folks going around going, well, you know, maybe, oh, look at these numbers here. You know, let it go. Just drop it. Right. It's not worth life to be doing that kind of thing. And, and nine times out of ten, if not more, it'll wind up a dead end. And that's not the way we're supposed to live life, and we're not supposed to be here, you know, rolling dice on whether or not you got it right at the next attack. But I do think it's important because if you do believe that that was inlaid in those works of art prior to the event, then what it tells me, and I, Willie, I'm going to let you speak to this, what I'm saying to folks is understand how powerful the entity is that you're up against and exactly what or who uh, he has marshaled as um, you know, some of his forces. No, I totally agree, and I think that a lot of these numbers are put in there. Not all of the things refer to 9-11 event, although there are... 9/11, and I'm, my view of the numbers 9 and 11 are is moving away not only as a foreshadow as a foreshadowing of the event, but I think they're just power numbers in themselves for the occult. Yes, they are. I think that. Doubt. So I think that you know there might not even be a connection between people putting these into these uh, cultural uh, you know works of art yeah. and the event of 9/11. They just may be what people use as their prime numbers to you know. Designate, you know, uh, show themselves or mark themselves as, you know, devil worshippers. So, I think that that may be why they're that why they're there. It's, and my interpretation of, 
you know, why they're there has definitely changed or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, matured, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I definitely believe that there's a lot of that going on. And it's weird how I, even when I went back, and I will kind of get into this on, uh, you know, talking about some of these earlier movies where the 11th show up, you know, in movies from the 60s and the 70s. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it seems like a, a common theme. So Sure. Um, anyway. Uh, All right, now let, let me go on to uh, the WTC for a second. One of the things that complicates the things about the WTC, uh, you see a lot of occultism or occultic behavior associated with by others uh, to that place because of the towers for obvious reasons. But one of the other things that's happened and happened in the past, and I don't know if we talked about this, William, but you know I grew up there and I watched them being built. And um, all of us said, you know, they're going to they're fly an airplane into that. I mean, because it almost begged for somebody to do that. I mean, if you think about those towers, at one hand, you can say, oh, they were beautiful. But a lot of people said, how obnoxious and obtrusive can you get with phallic symbols? You know, uh, symbols? Right. And I mean, now when I look back, I'm like, you know, you're right. And, and again, nobody downtown wanted those things built. That was strictly the force behind the Rockefellers with David and with his uh, brother, who at that time was governor. But they begged to get hit. I mean, they just stand out there. It's like somebody who's going, come on, hit me in the nose. Right. Um, and a lot of this, some of the images, William, that came from like the Mario Brothers and some of these other games, that's because in the psyche of everyone, it was kind of like, when, when is somebody going to fly a plane, some dumbass, you know, going to fly a plane into uh, the buildings? And you well, know, it, it, it's interesting you say that because in one of the movies that I came across, Godspell, which is uh, the uh, it's uh, the movie based on the play, and uh, okay. there is an intro into Godspell where. The lead character who represents John the Baptist is walking across the New York Bridge. Uh, and, oh, God, what's the name of the bridge? Anyway, he's walking across the bridge, and in the background is the Twin Towers. But yeah, it's the Brooklyn totally Bridge. Out- Brooklyn Bridge, thank yeah. you. And outside of, completely outside of the film, there's no involvement of planes. Uh, at that very intro, there's a sound of a plane in the background that's very prevalent as they're fixated on the Twin Towers. And the yeah. whole rest of the movie is just... A set piece, and there's actually a scene from them dancing on top of the twin towers, and uh, it's very eerie. And so the, these the buildings themselves have some kind of occultic import, and there's there's a bunch of things that are very strange about it. Especially all Rockefeller buildings, as a matter of fact. Yeah. But in particular, the twin towers. There, there's the center of the buildings had this bronze sculpture. They called it the Great Bronze Caryatid. And uh, it's a circular bronze structure. It's made out of 52 pieces, or was. And uh, the strange thing is that they called it the Great Bronze Caryatid. Well, it wasn't a true Caryatid. A Caryatid is a statue uh, that functions as a column upholding a temple. So a Caryatid, in the true sense, is this kind of sculpture of a human being that upholds a temple. But they called this the sculpture a Caryatid, and what it represented was upholding this temple to the creation uh it's found that it's the idea behind it was to show the pieces coming together in a world order system based on economics and that's the understanding so you have this very strange temple occult relationship or like uh pagan import put onto the sculpture that really doesn't there it's, it's not a caryatid it'd be like calling you know, right. your car an orange or something. It just doesn't <laughs> apply. But but if you look at it in the, in the 
at the twin twin towers as a significant structure that has you know has a cultic meaning, then it makes more sense. Uh, and the other thing is, is that on the entrance way into the subway underneath the twin towers was a uh, artwork called the Oculus, the one-eyed Oculus. At the very center of this picture of the Earth was the all-seeing eye or the single eye, and uh, that that's you can just look that up on the internet. It's in my movie O C U L U S. So clearly, the the Rockefellers have built into their uh, huge structures within New York, a lot of occult themes, and, and we've talked about this in the past, the Prometheus and the mm-hmm. Atlas that are in the Rockefeller Center are both straight out of uh, Blavatsky's doctrines of Satan holding up the earth and as a, a representation of Prometheus, and then you have the uh, the meditation room at the UN, which was also built by the, the Rockefellers, and that has references to Horus and stuff like that in there, so uh, the buildings themselves are are very occultic. The WT were, I should say. Um, while we're at almost the one, th- well, we're a little bit past the one third uh, mark of uh, this uh, audio. Um, tell folks now all what's going on and uh, where they can go ahead and uh, for perhaps a one-stop shopping. Yeah, they can just go to my website, www.occult911.com. The film itself is uh, called Occult Hollywood. I also have completed a a. Uh, a visual, uh, basically another documentary on a Crowley, which I think people might find interesting. Talks about some uh, some other things of Crowley that uh, aren't dealt with in the book, and some visual stuff. So you might, they might be interested in that. And uh, yeah, so that's basically. And you can see a couple trailers from my films too. So that, that might give you an idea okay. of what uh, what's included. I mean, basically, the Cold Hollywood is just a series of references, and, and I think we'll go in greater detail, just referring to. And trying to explain a lot of uh, these occult references in the films. All right, before we go off into the very strange worlds of Kubrick and uh, Polanski, um, let me just ask you briefly, because um, I didn't spend a lot of time on this, and I really only watched the movie after I got hip to what's going on. Uh, did, have you watched The Brotherhood of the Bell to a point where you are pretty familiar with the uh, content? No, not, not all the okay. way. I haven't watched it all the way through. I've watched the intro and about halfway through. But the intro, for me, was what was just enough to kind of set it off. But I was familiar with the storyline, which is, you know, the secret society that fixes things, et cetera. Right. And, you know, Have you that, watched the whole thing? No, I haven't. And that's why I asked you, because I came into it, and I, all I remember is Glenn Ford. And everybody was like men in black. You remember that? Everybody was like black suits on. And, right. uh, and uh, I didn't stick around long enough, and I didn't see the beginning. But I'm watching it, and I'm like, yeah, I really should spend some time uh, at, at, at another time to watch and see what they were doing with this and if there was also some kind of foreshadowing. Because here's the point. Are some people running with this and have done so in the past because they understand a little bit of what's going on and it's really fertile field for making a movie. And since most folks aren't aware of what goes on on the other side of the veil, this will all look like them, like just really great creative uh, science fiction or uh, futurism or just plain, you know, occult stuff. So, you know, some of this might just be somebody making a little hay on some knowledge of it. And certainly in other cases, it's not. Brotherhood of the Bell is one I'm interested in because it, when it was made with Glenn Ford and such, not that the actors have to know what's going on. And I think that's the case where you see some of this stuff laid into movies. The, the, the cast doesn't have to know what's going on. 
You know, right. and, and the technical people don't know half the, what's going on. All that has to matter is that the producer and whoever's cutting the movie, uh, you know, knows about this, and whoever shot a certain scene. Right. And none of, at the time it's all happening, nobody knows what that's connected to. They just do it. I, you know? I agree. Totally agree. Yeah. So I mean, it's you know, they're just running with it. Carter's an extreme. You know, is another example because he is plugged in, and I also think he has a little bit of a sardonic streak of humor in him as well. And unless you have any kinds of uh, uh, inhibitions about me doing this or any kind of uh, opposite feelings, I think I'd like to even put in that um, little interview that he has with a former FBI agent, and I put former in uh, quotation marks, at the beginning of the box set, uh, box set of Millennium. Because right. in it, the guy says, yeah, there's a Millennium group. And I mean, you know, not even like just balls out, right? right? You know, I'm like not even trying to deny it. He just looks at you like, yeah, it's almost like, yeah, there is. And what are you going to do about it? Right. So, well, there's an interesting. I mean, I, there's. Uh, I think the the ver the Millennium episode called Clocks is basically this uh, confrontation between uh, two two of the main characters and the head of the Millennium group. And the Millennium is basically the Illuminati. I mean, basically, he's saying there's going to be upheavals, and you know which side you want to be on. And the main character, who's played by Hendrickson, you know, says I don't want to join. And then I think the other guys, the other character, says, Well, you know. Why are you going to do that? Do you, why do you care about these people? I mean, it's all the standard kind of argumentation that takes place between people today. I mm -hmm. mean, basically, you have people who want to join up with this secret, you know, the secret groups or initiates, and people who don't. Now, you know. when people snap on those who they call conspiracy theorists because they bring up information they never encountered, so therefore, it can't be that they've been uh, shuttered some, somewhat. But that you've got to be crazy because, well, you know, if, if, if it were real, I would have found out about it. No, not necessarily. And here's a good example. You have the, the uh, spinoff, the lone gunman from The X-Files, whose pilot show shows these computer geeks hacking into a system that will prevent a 757 from impacting the towers. Right. All right. And what happens? What, six months later? It happens. Right. And nobody in America knows it. So you don't right. don't ever tell me about how can it, you know how it, well how can it be conspiracy how can you hide it well you tell me about that bozo yes yeah, I mean that's kind of like why I put the the films together the, this film together is that here's the evidence when you look at all these little pieces that are included in all these different movies from a lot of different people you have to come up with certain conclusions you know it should force uh, a conclusion that there's something else going on that's outside of the pure view of you know, the average individual and what's included in, you know, the mainstream media. So, you know, I think that, you know, it's definitely there. There's definitely something going on at the higher levels. And the people who aren't, you know, from one of these top families or went to the top schools or were initiated, uh, you know, need to know about it. But that also they need to understand that we don't know everything, you know. It, no, it's true. Um, and um, you're going to hit this, but I'm just going to mention this now. Most eyes are on ground zero with regard to what happened uh, on 9-11. But you have to wonder also about why the other two uh, venues were chosen. And if you were looking for some kind of symbolism, well, one, the, the, the one building that gets involved other than the towers and that complex down there is the pentagram that is known as the Pentagon. Okay, right. so there's one right there. Uh, and also Shanksville. Uh, that involves the Flight 93. That's the plane right. associated with that. So there's something. And also, Colvin will tell you that there's heavy mojo in that area, and uh, he's not alone. Denton, who is a uh, 
geologist, archaeologist, also says there's something interesting about that whole area. You could say that about a lot of things, I guess, but still in all, I mean, Colvin has been talking about this for years before. So at any rate. Um, well, here's another interesting thing is, did you see what they built at the, at the place where 93 landed? Oh, no, tell me an obelisk. Yeah, no, they built an obelisk, but they also <laughs> built this, the star within the crescent. The whole design of the memorial Beautiful. is a crescent and star motif. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, heavily occultic. And, I mean, it, it also, it's used in Islam, but it's also used in the occult. I think it means uh, the morning star or something. I, I, don't exa- I don't remember exactly, but it represents some, has some occult meaning to it. Well, I'm thinking right away, I mean, that is an emblem that's on a number of Muslim uh, nations' flags. Right. And don't, do we have a problem with this? I mean, s- since all these people think that ni- uh, 19 Arab hijackers did this and that they were necessarily uh, 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 Muslims, <laughs> why, why are we using that? I mean, of all things to use, why that? And nobody said yeah. a thing about it. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. It is. I mean, that, that's an insult. They're worried about building a mosque near Grand, Ground Zero, which if you build anything in southern Manhattan, you're near Ground Zero. I mean, it's the narrowest part of the whole island, so stop. So they get all worked up about that, but they put a crescent moon and a star out in Shanksville, and nobody says anything. you got to right. love it. So, yeah, it says here on, on the Internet, it says it predates Islam by several thousand years. Information on the origins of the symbol are difficult to ascertain, but most sources, sources agree that it's an ancient celestial symbol uh, in the word used in the worship of the sun, moon, and sky gods. Well, that makes it okay for me. <laughs> All right. Thanks for no. Thanks for sharing it. Honestly, are you going to go off into the wonderful wild worlds now of uh, uh, Kubrick and uh, Roman? Yeah, I mean Kubrick. Uh-oh. You know, he he definitely knows a lot more and knew a lot more. Uh, Eyes wide shut was an example most people know of. But in Doctor Strange Love, uh, there's a '93 reference uh, that happens as they're talking about the Doomsday, and uh, so he definitely knew or understood some of these deep. Uh, Kabbalistic uh, references to Crowley, and uh, in my opinion, he, he says it twice, or one of the characters says it twice. Uh, so you know that's definitely there. There's the 2001, which uh, I, I've been researching it, and, and 2001 involves this monolith uh, and uh, contact with with uh, you know alien entities, I guess is what you might call it, and. Uh, it's pretty interesting that he sat down with Arthur C. Clarke and actually wrote the movie, and uh, Arthur Clarke wrote the book at the same time. So they were in close contact. Arthur C. Clarke is a 33rd degree Mason, so there's high symbology there, which is uh, which I don't fully understand. But you know, I've understand the kind of uh, there's definitely an allegorical tale there about you know the intro. I've heard Cooper talk about the intro to 2001 where. You know, it's a sign of human intelligence. The one uh, group of, you know, primates learns to how to use a tool and the others don't. And, you know, it's basically conquest. So uh, there's some very interesting uh, things about 2001. One of the interesting things about 2001 is there's this, that monolith that, uh, you know, is basically nine by three. Uh, and oh, is that right, nine by three? I think it is. I think it's three across, across nine. But here's what's interesting is after 2001, the events at the WTC, you can see a picture of it on the Internet. There was a Hilton built across from the uh, 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 the Trade Center wreckage, and it's an almost exact copy of an obelisk, just like 2001. It is very bizarre 
I don't know how why it's there or whatever, but I'll send you a picture of it. Okay. I'll try to put one up on my inner, on my website. Okay. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's 2001, and then there's uh, you know the world famous Eyes Wide Shut, which was you know completed, but it was re-edited after after Cubic's Cubic's edit. He's turned in his edit and died about four or five days later. His wife said he was in good shape or was healthy. He died in his sleep. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of references in there to the rainbow, which is an occult symbol or used in the occult. Uh, a lot of people use the rainbow as a symbol of all the different uh, signs of the zodiac, as well as all the different characters and people that are used in, in the occult. There's a rainbow of individuals who are Satanists. And that's why you see Black Sabbath after they broke up. The next occult band was Rainbow, if you remember that. And it seems kind of strange to people, but that's because the rainbow has a significant import. So that's that's included in Eyes Wide Shut. There's 11 consorts uh, in the cold sex magical sequence. And when when uh, Cruz's character gets caught and is, is entreated to come before this kind of a decision-making body, there's a guy sitting on a chair with a double-headed eagle of masonry on the back. So... Uh, God only knows what other references are used or were used in Kubrick's original film, but uh, you know a lot of that just hit the cutting room floor. So we'll we'll never know, I guess. Two movies that disturb me more than any others. Uh, one was Angel Heart, um, and that to me is the most disturbing of all of them. And yet, I don't know. It, it seemed like De Niro extricated himself from that movie without any problems. Um, uh, Mickey Rourke was in it, and of course, well, maybe he didn't. Lisa Bonet, I think her name was, was the, uh, right. the darling of the, uh, uh, what's his face? <clears throat> uh, yeah, uh, g- g- help me out here with the, uh, the funny guy. That. Yeah, I know, we're having brain farts here. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I he, can't believe I'm doing this. Anyway, Dr. Cosby, Bill Cosby, she was in that show, and then she right. went out and did that. Lenny um, Kravitz, Lenny Kravitz. All right, yeah, and so, I mean, Cosby, like, basically turned his back on her, so. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. He turned his back on her because of that movie? Uh, not happy. Nobody was happy that she had played such an upright citizen and then had gone into that movie. Nobody was happy with that. Right. You know, how long that lasted, I don't know. But, you know, Disney did the same thing with Julie Andrews, by the way. Julie Andrews was his little ingenue, you know, squeaky clean vanilla ice cream. And then she made a movie, I think, with Paul Newman called Torn Curtain, in which she, like, uh, you know, dressed down and, and got into it with Paulie doing the horizontal mambo, and then Disney was upset right. about that. So, anyway, that's not unusual. But... Um, both movies are upsetting, and certainly um, Eyes Wide Shut tells you a lot that you probably don't want to know about. And that movie seemed to, to uh, have some uh, collateral damage, including the marriage of um, their two stars, uh, Tom Cruise. And, um, and also Kubrick dies during it. And the whole thing just seems to be, to this day, just under this pall, and, and rightfully so. Yeah, and it's very odd. I mean, the shooting schedule, they uh, shot, and then they decided to reshoot. They called everybody back. The shooting of the film was like took two years or something very strange. Like, yeah, uh, There were all kinds of extra scenes that were put together. So it was a very strange uh, film, and, you know, it's, it's fascinating, but it's so on point. It's almost like Kubrick was trying to warn people. You know, some of these guys, they get older, like Kubrick or... Uh, some of these other figures, they get on their deathbed, and, uh, you know, they want to just try to tell that, everybody yeah. what, yeah. They want yeah. to tell people exactly what's going on. And it seems like that's what Kubrick was up to. You know, when, when I've done shows with um, 
a really fine individual, uh, originally from New Jersey, which always helps, <laughs> who's now a clinical psychologist out in San Diego and works with ritual abuse victims. So I give her high marks for, for dealing with that every day. But we, talk, we had talked about a lot of stuff in the past, and I'd like to have her back on. I don't know how somebody goes in there every day and can do that. And we've talked about this kind of thing. I mean, people have no idea. Uh, and I think maybe I misquote Jehovah in, uh, in Jeremiah. Did he not say um, to his people when he was supposedly away, you know, when Jehovah turns his face, that they sacrificed their children to Moloch, and he said, never did it enter my mind that you would do such a thing. Right, yes, that is correct. All right, and, and so, I mean, if Jehovah can say that. Can you imagine how people would take it when they, real, when they really realize what's going on, that there are snuff films, there are snuff rituals, there are places like uh, what's portrayed in Eyes Wide Shut where anything goes, you know, whatever you let yourself uh, fantasize about, you can do. Right. And, and this is obviously really the club of the rich who can allow themselves to become incredibly decadent because, hey, in a sense, they're right. They're above the law. And I, I'm laughing, because, not laughing, a bad choice of words. Uh, just recently, maybe a month or so ago, you get this little murmur out of Colorado that they think they know who killed Joan Benet Ramsey. And every time, time that happens, I laugh. You know, I'm like, get out of here. She got, she got off as a ritualistic uh, murder, and no one's ever going to find out. How you can screw up a, a, a murder scene in a basement, I have no idea, but that seemed to have happened. You know, and, of course, Colorado also is the purview of a lot of, you know. Yeah, I do know. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, that they said that he would have gone to jail if she hadn't passed away That after they did the uh, autopsy on her because there was so much evidence of sexual abuse. But, uh, you know, they didn't. They didn't prosecute him on those charges because she was deceased. So, uh, you know, there was a lot more to that story. Oh, you know it and I know it. I mean, that they don't go there is fine. I think enough has been enough has been said that wasn't said. And right. that is the way the world runs. But a lot of people don't believe it. People don't believe it that Franklin was involved in another kind of purient endeavor. You know, the, well, we would call it the Golden Showers Clubs now. But right. they, they the don't know. Bar club, yeah. yeah. I mean, so... And they don't understand that that's exactly what these characters do. That is how wretched and uh, debauched they are. So, all right, there's, there's no doubt that's what happens at the Bohemian Club. There's no and different clubs like that. I mean, I've actually seen things like that in where I went to college. Uh, there was actually a club. I think it was called the Key. It was, you know, it wasn't exactly Skull and Bones, like something uh, devoted specifically to black magic, but it had degraded to a level that, and people got tapped every year. Uh, they started. They started tapping people from fraternities to uh, join this club, and what took place inside there, it was basically a bomb shelter on the south side of the UC Berkeley campus. They, they, I mean, what they did was unreal. They would barf on, vomit on each other. Yep. They would got locked into this uh, bomb shelter, into, and they wouldn't be let out until every person drank the equivalent of 24 beers. I mean, and it got worse from there. So it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, people look at leaders, wrongfully so, as being, you know, they vote you in because they think you're better than they are. And when they disappoint you, you want them out because you realize they're not. But for those that are beyond just elections and such, I mean, entrenched politicians get there because no matter what happens, they're going to have their seat the next year. And what those people are involved in, it, and it seems like, you know, when John, Joseph Conrad wrote uh, Heart of Darkness, um, right. He was right, and he knew something, too, that when, when, when you can set yourselves up as human beings above the law and everything else, basically un, gods unto yourselves, 
you don't you don't seem to drift over to the benefit the um, the beneficial or the uh, beneficent. You degrade. You go into right. an absolute downspin into some kind of like creature, and that's just that's the wickedness of the heart that's spoken of in scripture. You know so. But and you see that all throughout ancient Rome, the imperial power, the emperors were some of the most perverse people on earth. Uh, and, you know, you see the same thing that happened, you know, during the Bush administration and some of these other people. I mean, once you peel back the, the, the curtain, I mean, these people are doing everything, dressing up like women. That uh, comes to another movie that I didn't include in my documentary, but it's called Salo, which is a very, what I consider to be a very important film. Uh, but it's it's a really rough film to watch. It's based on Marquis de Sade's 100 days, 120 days of Sodom. It was directed by a guy by the name of Piero Paolo Pasolini. It's an Italian film, and Salo was basically the rump state that came after the downfall of Mussolini, and uh, is very corrupt. But the whole film basically details the what happens between uh, the individuals of this kind of city and. These people have total power, and what they do, their abuses, the the just de- degradation, and uh, it's an amazing film. It's really rough to watch. I don't recommend people uh, turn it on lightly, but I think it's very important because there are times in human history when these type of events ha- happen, where these people just literally go crazy with power and uh, get in the kind of weirdest, craziest abuses imaginable.